Hello and welcome to China Econ Talk. I'm your host, Jordan Schneider. China Econ Talk is also open for sponsorships. Find our contact information in the show notes below for sponsorship opportunities for the chance to connect with over 2,000 listeners passionate about China's economy. Today, nearly half of the top 100 apps in India's Google Play Store are Chinese. After past failures to enter the Indian market, what's driving China tech's sudden success on the subcontinent? Shadma Sheikh is a writer at Factor Daily based in Pune covering the China-India tech beat. Shadma, welcome to China Econ Talk. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So first, if you could explain a little bit about what Factor Daily is and how you first came across covering this interaction between China tech and India. Oh, sure. So let, let me start off telling you a little bit about uh, myself and the publication, right? So I sure. largely cover tech platforms, uh, the dark side of internet and China for Factor Daily. And Factor Daily is sort of like the only media house in India that focuses covering specifically on technology from a very wide and deep lens. So we look at future technology, like, for example, drones, crypto and existing technologies like social platforms, AI, how that impacts people at large. And in the last one year, an important leg or you could say, you know, an obsession for our newsroom has been China. It's basically a function of the proliferation of the Chinese platforms that you see in India right now. You know, like I mentioned in our stories, and it's common wisdom now, that this proliferation that you see today has got a lot to do with the success of companies like uh, Xiaomi or Huawei that was sort of like the early entrance of this wave. Uh, so they sent out a loud message that, you know, we're here in India and we're here to stay. So Xiaomi is everywhere in India right now and not just through its phones, but also through its investment arm, right? And uh, then there are content platforms like, which are sort of like the flavor of the season. They keep changing. There's, there, there was Newsdog and now there's Musical.ly, there's TikTok. There's Vigo Video, Bye Bye Dances, Bigo Live, Live Me, Up Live, Like, you know, all, all have similar sounding <laughs> names. And uh, they also started picking up around late uh, 2017 and early 2018. And all of these apps managed to find some good early traction, I would say. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was it. I mean, that, that the story that we did at the beginning of the year that pointed out that, uh, you know, five out of the top 10 mobile apps in India are now Chinese. And the number of Chinese apps in the top 100, if you check in the Play Store, that reached 44 this year uh, as compared to 18. And it sort of got a lot of attention to the people that, oh, wow, okay, there are these 44 apps that are now Chinese. And more and more people have started writing about China and talking about it now more than ever once that came into light. Fascinating. So, Shama, before we talk about the Chinese wave of apps and, and, and influence in the Indian market, let's maybe shift back in you know ancient history to 2016, 2017. So what were the dominant players in the ecosystem at that point? And what was the mix maybe between native Indian as opposed to American companies in this space? I think around that time, it was, uh, it, it, it was mainly, I think, Facebook, WhatsApp, YouTube, and the American players at large. And I would say they continue to be the largest in India even today. So more or less, it was the same landscape. And, you know, there's, there's, there's Google that dominates a lot of products that Indians use on a daily basis, for example, Android phones or, you know, Google Maps or uh, YouTube. 
So all of these products were generally uh, the, the the software products that Indians used were mainly uh, you know supplied by the large American giants like Facebook, Instagram, and uh, you know WhatsApp. It, it was mainly just dominated by these guys. Sure. I'm curious for your thoughts on the you know digital colonialism debate around Facebook's free basics offer, where basically what happened was Mark Zuckerberg um, gave this offer to a number of, of countries and many Southeast Asian ones took him up on it, basically saying, we'll provide free internet for you so long as, but the internet can only be used for Facebook products. And the Indian government, after a big push from the from the NGO community, ended up rejecting this, leading to Mark Andreessen giving some uncouth Twitters and, you know, kind of turning into a nationwide, uh, uh, a bit of a nationwide scandal. So I'm curious if you think had India accepted this sort of offer, the landscape would have been different and potentially more challenging for the Chinese entrants that we're seeing nowadays. Yeah, so there was there was a very solid pushback for the free basics program in India. And I would say I'm glad about that. Because, you know, I think internet neutrality is very much in line with other tenets of a democratic country. And it also sort sort of, you know, pushes the competitive edge between existing network service providers in India. So it's hard for me to sort of exactly imagine what kind of internet landscape would it be with free basics. Because, uh, you know, to a large extent, the content internet users consume on their phones today is through Google and Facebook. And sure. uh, so, so the content is still determined by the algorithms of these large companies, which is sort of like the big boys running the show. But, you know, there's, there, there's at least a choice to explore more content from various avenues and there's no censoring or there's no blocking or there's no the monopoly of these guys running the whole thing because there are options for other people which basically is very important for a democratic country. Yeah. I mean, one of the big ironies of this free basics push was Facebook lobbying domestically in the U.S., spending tens of millions of dollars pushing net neutrality at home. But apparently it wasn't in their important enough in their business plan to think that the likes of India and Myanmar and the Philippines needed this sort of uh, net neutrality that apparently Americans deserved. So a fascinating development a few years ago, and I think something that has done a lot to potentially free up the Indian landscape for new competitors like the ones we're seeing from China. So now let's go even further back in time to the story of WeChat in India. So there was a big push uh, by WeChat to internationalize in late 2011-2012, but it ended up not working out super well for Tencent in India. Could you tell us a little bit about that story? Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, I think they had a good start when they launched in the India market. I think Tencent already had a team of iVivo uh, that sat out of the Delhi office in India. And that, that helped them sort of uh, have a, you know, initial hold of the India market, of the understanding of the India market. And they were usually successful in China. So I believe the marketing expense for them wasn't a challenge when looking at a market like India. And back then... WhatsApp didn't have the kind of hold in India as it does right now. It was also just starting up. So at one point, I think WeChat had gained about 20 to 25 million subscribers during the campaign. And I spoke to some of the executives uh, at the company who told me that, you know, for a good uh, one month or so, uh, WeChat was the top ranking app on Google Play Store. So this Mm. was obviously driven by the heavy marketing expenses behind the push of uh, this new platform. But they also, I think, roped in some movie stars as their brand ambassadors. And there were ad campaigns on TV, radio, malls, and the works, you know. 
so the the marketing strategy and the marketing sentiment was in place and was on point i would say but they had their road bumps right like as we as we know today and we look back at that story and it's interesting because you know when we did that story it was very recent i think it was a couple of months ago and it was uh, actually pitched by one of my colleagues jayadevan who also makes a very you know effective high level sense of things happening in the ecosystem and wechat uh, retracted its operations in 2015 so we asked why are we doing this story now but uh, you know the answer was staring right at us once i started finding out what went wrong and there were so many lessons in that story for this new crop of chinese companies that were looking to launch expand and as they say internationalize uh, in the india market right so in case of wechat uh, as uh, i pointed out in the story there were many cultural as well as product challenges that did not fit well in the indian context uh for example uh, wechat made it mandatory for users to add friend request right which is which is sort of like something that a facebook or a social media platform would do because it wechat is sort of a mix of both a messenger and a social media platform so you had to accept the other person uh, for it for you to be able to chat with that person right as opposed to whatsapp where if you have somebody's number you could just send them a message so yeah. uh and i i think i think that worked well in china because qq messenger was already very popular there and that had the database of uh, almost all the users that were on qq and on wechat you could just import those contacts and you could you know just start off but there was there was no equivalent of that in india so in india they were starting off new and fresh and the hassle of adding people was just was still there so i believe that was one of the initial uh, challenges about the product and the app itself i think was really heavy in size it was around 40 mb or so 40 megabytes and you know the most popular phones in india by I, at that time were around 200 mb uh, of memory uh, so it was very difficult sure. for people to to have a app that heavy on your phone and then there was you know whatsapp and then there was facebook and all of those things which you also sort of needed on your phone if you had a smartphone so yeah now so saying whatsapp on the other hand had a very special you know low memory build and it was more aimed at emerging markets and so it understood the limitations that you know the cell phones and the data networks came with in markets like india so i think apart from this there were also some uh, cultural things like i mentioned so there were features like for example you know adding people nearby or the shake feature where you could you know add strangers on wechat so uh, i think those worked well in china maybe but uh, you know india is culturally very different so what happened was you know men overused that feature and it became a major turn off for women who felt it was an invasion of privacy Uh, yeah. So I think I I think it was factors like these that you know contributed to the decline and also the a little bit of the current market situation in India at that time. Yeah, it's interesting the uh the cultural side of it because Jiang Xiaolong, the product manager of WeChat as we featured on a recent China Econ Talk newsletter which you should all subscribe to at chinaecontalk.substack.com, talked about how a turning point for him was remembering some lines he read from Sigmund Freud in college where he talked about sex being a driving force in human nature. So then what he did was add this people nearby and shake features which were both ways to start conversations with strangers and this was one of the things early in in WeChat's life 
life cycle that sparked massive growth and put it on a path to be the number one uh, social media messaging app in China. Um, but on the other hand, you know, in the Indian context, this just all of a sudden alienated tons and tons of users who were sick of men creeping in their uh, in their WeChat DMs or what have you. So it's it's an interesting thing that they weren't able to kind of realize early on and change. And I think was something that kind of speaks to the um, the lack of understanding about the need for localization, which it seems like some of the the Chinese entrants in India's marketplace today have done a much better job of. So one of the other things I'm, I'm curious about that you just hinted about in this piece was the threat of government regulation and this kind of realization that WeChat was a Chinese app being something that scared off a lot of users. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the kind of fear of Chinese apps back in that time, as well as any potential thinking about uh, those sorts of issues coming to play today. So uh, I think it would be incorrect to guess what would have you know transpired something like that uh, many years ago. But I can sure. tell you that the general reputation back then and to some extent even now is to have a fair bit of you know skepticism when it comes to China and Chinese products. And I would say it did change a lot with companies like Xiaomi. If you look at uh, handheld devices, you would see all of Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo, OnePlus, you know, all, all Chinese device makers that are dominating the India market right now. So you can see that the perception has maybe changed a little bit. But if you look at platforms, there are platforms like Vigo Life, Vigo Video, LiveMe, Kwai. They're all Chinese. They're all popular. But they're also all struggling with their reputation, right? They're known for, uh, you know, sleaze, provocative content, you know, underage, inappropriate content. And uh, I think, you know, what, what that does for them is it does get them some set of initial users and a fair bit of initial traction, which is why you see them, you know, in, in the top ranks uh, on the Play Store. But later on, and that's something that we're seeing right now, big brands do not necessarily think of them as, you know, the best platforms to advertise on. So uh, sure. the skepticism and the skepticism and the questioning of their intent is, I think, very natural for a culturally sensitive market that India is. Sure. You know, it's interesting because on the one, I'm curious how far this, uh, how far this leads, not necessarily. I mean, on the one hand, yes, we have, you know, journalists like you writing stories about these sorts of issues and maybe brand managers who are worried about associating. But I'm curious, it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out if, you know, the government gets worried about these sorts of issues and influence operations. As, as we all know, the relations between China and India have not always been the most friendly and, uh, and peaceful. So it's, it's an interesting uh, new development. I think, you know, from a broader foreign policy perspective of having this daily interaction that hundreds of millions of Indian consumers are now having with with Chinese products. That's right. That's right. No, I agree. Now let's turn directly to some of the apps that are most popular on the subcontinent. So NewsDog is a Chinese firm that operates exclusively in the Indian market. Could you tell us a little bit about the story of this firm and the founder's interest in India? Sure. I think we're a little late to discussing this because as we speak, News dog is probably pivoting to you know various other areas right now, but yes. Okay. So, uh, so you know, Forrest Chen, who's the founder, was uh, kind of the earliest of the lot to look at the content space in India from China, and I think uh, he believed that while China was reaching its point of saturation of content platforms, the timing was right for India when he started like a couple of years ago. But over the last one year or so, I think things have changed dramatically. You know. Uh, content has evolved, content viewing platforms and audience have matured. 
they're constantly hopping onto the next platform that grabs their attention right now. Mm-hmm. So I think news news dog that started as an aggregator of entertainment content is also looking into video space, short videos, and all of those things, right? So ev- everybody is trying to do that right now. So one of the interesting dynamics we spoke to about content regulation, which of course is a big issue here in China as well, but the, the kind of set of incentives for Indian entrepreneurs domestically, as opposed to foreign, mainly Chinese entrepreneurs investing in India and potentially using more racy content to drum up views is a little different. One of the interesting quotes you you had in this piece was, was, uh, was someone saying that an Indian founder promoting a piracy or a porn platform is likely is likely to be thrown in jail. But in the case of a Chinese company, at worst, it would just have to shut down its Indian operations. So it seems yeah. like this, this seems like a fascinating dynamic. I'm curious uh, how you think it's been playing out. Yeah, no, to a large extent, it's true, right? Like, you would be held more accountable if you are based in India, if your com- company is headquartered in India, and you're seen doing something that doesn't fall within the realm of you know what's legal and what's not legal, what's not legal in a country like India. But uh, yeah. if you are if you are someone who has a headquarter in Singapore or say Beijing or uh, you know Shanghai, I don't think it would uh, I I don't think your major concern would be to you know not get in trouble at least initially, because if you look at all of these platforms and uh, Kwai especially right, I wrote about it. I wrote a long piece about it, saying that you know the kind of content that you see on it is downright objectionable. I mean it's inappropriate. That I mean there are very Child pornography is taken extremely seriously in the country, right? And I mean, even grooming or even, you know, uh, suggestive content related to children or underage girls is extremely sensitive and is taken very seriously. So an Indian platform doing that would be rare. And, you know, an Indian founder, if they see something like this happening on their platform, they are likely to take a quicker action as opposed to a Kwai, where I still see a lot of this content because it doesn't matter to them. And it's easy for them to come back and say that, you know, you have the options to report and you have the options to flag inappropriate content. But at at the worst, what would happen is for them to, you know, shut down their operations in the India market where already, you know, monetization isn't very great. So they would just shut shop and then go to Brazil or go to some other country where they can just, you know, start off once again. But an Indian founder working for Indian audience wouldn't have that option because they, they would care more about their reputation rather than, you know, their numbers. That's that's the mentality of Indian founders. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because you, you sort of see the inverse in China domestically with foreign content companies as opposed to domestic ones. You know, if if Bing or Google is uh, allows allows sensitive content from a political standpoint to come through, then the platform gets shut down. But if, you know, God forbid some censors domestic uh, platform isn't censoring well enough, there's definitely jail time or worse on the uh, on the horizon for the folks in charge of these of these large organizations. Let's talk a little bit about the data revolution in India. So what has the introduction of 4G done for the marketplace? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, like I said, in the last couple of years, things have changed dramatically in India. That's also because, uh, you know, one of the telco providers, uh, Reliance, launched a new network called Geo. So they announced data plans for, you know, dirt cheap prices. Like, I think 1GB data is about, you know, $0.3 or about, you know, 2RMB if you... Uh, well, in, in India and uh, you know initially they offered uh, free unlimited data for all users for a very long time and uh, then they slashed the prices so low that almost everyone could uh, easily afford it so I think that brought about a large number of new first time internet users uh, mobile internet users right I think last year June uh, the total number of internet subscribers in India touched around 512 million 
and these are uh, mobile first mobile only users they haven't been on a pc before this they haven't been on the internet before this so many mm. of these users when they get on the internet for the first time you know they are in exploratory mode and the first thing that users look for is entertainment and you know that's what has given rise to and inflated the number of content platforms targeting these regional vernacular uh, you know local language speaking consumers so if you see about you know 50% of these top 100 apps in india that are chinese uh, i i would say about 70 to 80% of these apps are offering entertainment in one way or the other you know there's either mm. videos or, or live streaming or dating or movie clips or cam girls uh, most of these apps you know offer one of these things to these new users because they're first time users and they're excited and you know they're seeing this whole new world on their screen and you know at at just like a few clicks so it's 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 an interesting dynamics but these are all very new users so it will be interesting to observe and see how these patterns evolve over time let's come now to the biggest chinese player in the digital indian technology space bytedance one of the interesting things i think about them is their commitment and potential understanding to localization their biggest app uh hello is actually currently not available in english but available in 14 different regional languages so what do you think they seem to be doing right uh when it comes to localization that um maybe tencent wasn't able to figure out back in 2011 if you just have to talk about localization maybe it's it's the fact that you know they are very careful about their pr Yeah. That's that's the first, right? That's the first thing that strikes to me because they don't want to be known as a Chinese company. Like they have an India office and you know they are they operate as a separate entity. They say that you know ByteDance might be the parent holding company but that has got nothing to do with how Hello works and Hello operates and all of that stuff. Uh, sure. But there are there are if, if we have to talk about you know the market that Hello is in, uh, I think it's a fairly competitive market and it's content powered by AI, right? And AI is something that ByteDance is known for. But th- then there are you know these competitive platforms that are there's there's something called ShareChat in India, which is sort of like the most popular platform in this uh, in this category, which has been there for around three four years now. more than that i think uh when i use these platforms right i i i don't uh, i mean i i use it for research and i'm not the target audience so it might not make a huge deal of difference to me but uh even when you speak to users of these platforms right uh it's it's the fact is that they don't care if the content comes from a hello or a share chat Uh, most of these yeah. uh, users uh, are just interested in you know what's funny what's relevant what's interesting and a lot of these users use whatsapp to forward this content so in a way uh, you know i i don't think hello has been able to build a loyal set of consumers yet uh, but they are doing other things you know they are getting verified profiles they are getting local journalists to post on the platform to increase more credibility and you know more stickiness on the app so uh, you know that's that's what they are doing with hello tiktok yeah. though i think is is different right uh, and uh, even though it has a reputation of being silly or stupid or you know not classy enough for urban users uh, who don't want to associate with tiktok i think the app has a brilliant uh, user interface you know and i can see that people are warming up to it now 
So I think TikTok has about uh, 50 million monthly actives in India and about 30 million daily active users. So that's one thing that uh, sort of stands out about the app, right? I mean, uh, TikTok has started testing ads in India and the top brand guys tell me uh, that TikTok is probably the only Chinese uh, social app among all others that advertisers actually do take seriously. And yeah, this is also because... Yeah, this is also because of its extremely high uh, monthly active to daily active ratio, which is very rare. Uh, and uh, it's 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 not to the level of, I would say, a YouTube or a Facebook yet, but it's definitely growing rapidly. You know, it's interesting, this idea of localization. You know, TikTok is basically the same app all around the world. And there's one platform and the user interface has basically not changed. And, and Zhang Yiming, the CEO of ByteDance, has said that you know, Facebook is basically the same platform. Twitter is the same platform. Why do we need to do? Um, why do we need to do localization? You know, YouTube is the same thing everywhere. But on the other hand, there is this idea and real need to understand countries, and I think you end up doing that. You know, sometimes at the product level, and sometimes at the kind of like influencer marketing, what have you level, which seems to be something really, really important, particular to the the Indian market. You know, something that I've uh, come across in a few conversations with uh, folks at Chinese firms who who work on India is when they go to India, they're so blown away uh, that there are so many languages and there are so many cultures uh, just within within one nation, which is not something that that China is. You know, ninety plus percent folks are Han Chinese, and nowadays everyone basically speaks the same uh, Putonghua. But it's 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 interesting because you you've heard this pretty regularly over time where uh, Chinese uh, companies say, oh, you know, China is so diverse because we have like fancy first uh, first world cities like Beijing and Shanghai. And then but we've also had yeah. to learn had to learn how to you know market in villages and fourth tier and third tier cities. So um, because China encompasses so many levels of development, then these Chinese firms are going to be more used to working in countries that differ that also have like very different levels of development. But I think dealing with multiple incredibly different cultures within the same nation is, is a new challenge for a lot of them. I had a conversation recently with, with a Chinese a tech professional who came back from India who was telling me that, you know, like it's so amazing there because they have uh, so many different cultures, um, but they've never really had any violence. And I kind of had to politely say, I think you should maybe read a history book or two before yeah. <laughs> um, telling that telling that line to anyone else. Um, but I think the the, the curiosity um, and the fascination is definitely there. And I imagine the, the, the knowledge base will only kind of increase and develop over time because it seems like these these companies aren't necessarily taking the kind of more arrogant, um, you know, we have a product and it's and it's going to work all around the world, which is kind of the mindset that I think um, Tencent may be brought to its early international plays. Any any thoughts on that? Hmm. No, I, I, I agree that it's very diverse, you know, because uh, if, if you look at India, I mean, there are, I think, it's, it's divided, right? It's divided into like the, the cultural differences. There are language differences. I think there are 22 official languages in India and uh, content needs to be distributed and moderated across all these languages if you are looking to you know cater the larger indian market so uh, it's 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 difficult for a chinese player to sort of you know come and try and get a hold over the whole market because uh, if, even if you look at uh, the demographics in the country right uh, paying customers in india who can be monetized are only the top 100 urban uh, 100 million urban users, right? So uh, if you're looking to target a market which is beyond that, you have to build models uh, that are going to be sustainable in the long run, right? 
right? I mean, there are, the rest of the 300 or 400 million smartphone market is still, you know, sort of warming up to the internet. They are certainly easy to acquire. The cost of acquisition of an Indian mobile consumer is really, really low. But, uh, you know, sustaining that user or monetizing them is, I think, the larger challenge, which is in front of the platforms that are focused on content. Yeah. It's uh, another interesting dynamic is is kind of is, is the personnel one. You know, there's a large Indian expatriate community in the U.S. The English level in English is mu- is obviously much higher than than your average coder in in China. So another kind of barrier for these Chinese firms to um, potentially overcome as they try to do this sort of deep localization, um, not necessarily having a lot of uh, ethnic Indians running around Beijing or Shenzhen. Right. So let's talk a little bit about some Indian firms that seem to be making solid inroads into China. So what are the main companies involved in this direction and what lessons have they learned about the Chinese market? So this, this is the one thing that, that I found out when I was going to Beijing, right? And I was reaching out to the Indian community there and, uh, you know, the Indian tech folks uh, in particular. And they were the ones who sort of told me that, oh, do you know about, you know, these companies who are there in, who are there in China and they've been doing quite well and you should reach out to them and you should talk to them. So, you know, uh, the popular ones, I would say, uh, are Inmobi, which is a mobile advertisement uh, firm. There's also something called Capillary Technologies that is, you know, into the whole customer relationship management software kind of, uh, you know, zone. And uh, recently, I think uh, Oyo Hotel chain uh, also launched in China. One thing that's uh, that I found common in these companies, and this is this is also there in the story that I did about these companies. The one thing that's common between these companies is, is that they did not carry uh, the baggage of their success in, in in India with them. Right? These companies are fairly successful and very well known in India, but when they went to China, they started with a clean slate, and because because they know it's a new and challenging market of China. Uh, so they built local teams there, and the fact that they've been able to sustain so far is, is, is I think, still a big deal because uh, they're not really huge if you look at it from the Chinese scale, but they've been able sure. to establish themselves fairly in a market that even the American giants have had tra- trouble operating it, right? So, which I think is pretty commendable. So, what do you think they've been doing? Uh, they've been doing right. So, uh, you know, a bunch of things. Like, for example, Inmobi uh, hired this person called Jessie Wang as their head of operations and she's she's fairly well connected in the whole mobile advertisement ecosystem in China right so she's been able to attract uh, very good talent over there I mean they have a local team which is around uh, the size of I think 70 or 100 or something like that and they're all uh, local folks and they understand the market they know what's happening in the market so it's not like you have to comply or run the same culture that you were running in an Indian company because this is a different and separate entity and you know uh, one of the one of the things that the Oyo team was telling me Oyo is a hotel chain that launched in China last year and they told me that one of the criteria that most uh, you know foreign companies have when they are launching in China is to have bilingual talent like someone who can speak English as well as Chinese which is sort of a requirement for a lot of uh, foreign companies that go and launch in China because they would like to know what's happening and they would like the communication to be more clear but uh, you know Oyo didn't do that because they said that that would be limiting our resource pool right I mean there must be so many local only Chinese speakers who would be fairly talented and who would be able to run this business in a much better way than just, you know, targeting it to someone who speaks both languages because businesses run on trust. And if you're able to you know, trust the whole uh, operations team there to you know meet their targets or even excel, 
uh, you should not have criteria like these when you are uh, entering that market, which I think is a very, uh, you know, which, which I think worked in their favor because it sort of tells you about the culture of the company. So, you know, things like these. And I think also, uh, you know, they grew with the market. Some of them like in movie grew with the market because they launched there about, I think, five, six years ago. And they've been trying to innovate and keeping up with the giants that are there in the market there. So they understand that, you know, we are a small company and if we have to sustain in the market, we have to stay ahead of the competition. We have to constantly keep innovating. They sort of also learn from other markets like the US market, the India market. And, uh, you know, they collaborate all of those learnings and they put it to execution in a more challenging market like China. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the other way around, right? Uh, I mean, uh, because they have these innovative products there now, uh, when you look at their operations in India, when the India market catches up to that speed, they would definitely have an upper hand when it comes to, you know, executing in a market where, because they, they already have the China experience now. So they can you know, go back and execute those learnings in an India market when the market catches up. Anything else you'd like to add uh, more broadly about Chinese tech firms in China? Um, some, some parting thoughts for the listeners? I think we're all watching this space very intently, right? I mean, this is, this is, a, this is the hot space now. I, I think the picture will be very different in a year or so, I believe. I would be more interested in watching how, uh, you know, the slowdown in China would affect India play. I'm keen on finding real use cases and solid business models, you know, that would support the uh, entertainment factory that we see through mobile apps right now. ByteDance and Xiaomi, I think, are going to be the two Chinese companies to watch out in India. Though with their, you know, upcoming IPO, it would be interesting to see how things fold for them in other markets, including challenging ones like India. I think we are all, you know, in the same space. Uh, we're going to all watch and see how it folds in the next one year or so. So we also have our own podcast called Outliers, where we uh, have guest speakers who've been outliers in their real life, who are entrepreneurs who've go- gone out of the way and done something brilliant. So that's something that you could check out for. We're also launching a new podcast called The Playbook, where we would talk about some successful journeys in uh, the technology and startup business. And uh, that would be really an interesting space to watch out for. Shadma, thanks for being a part of China Econ Talk. Cool. Thank you. China Econ Talk is edited by Jason MacRonald and Kaiser Guo and is a proud member of the Seneca Network from China. For other great shows on China, check out the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, the New Voices Podcast, and of course, the Seneca Podcast, now in its ninth year. Until next week. Shine